Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. We have to take ownership, everything we do and what's gone into it. And I think if we can do that, then we might be willing to be a little less convenient. Andre Eichmeier is a $100 million startup founder, brand visionary, adventurer, storyteller, and passionate thought leader on purpose, culture, growing tribes, and being human. He talks openly about his own failures and the insights that have shaped him and built his success. As a startup founder and champion of change for good, Andre is probably best known for co-founding and building online wine startup Vino Mofo into a $100 million global company renowned for its strong customer culture and helped change the very brand of wine in this country. I myself was an early fan of the brand and still buy way too much from them today. Life Before That is a 20-year story of five failed businesses and three different careers, from writing to acting on screen and stage to fronting Australia's biggest covers band of the 90s, mixed in with a year-long combi wine adventure. In 2018, Andre founded Good Empire, a global community platform to gather, unite and empower people to live more connected, purposeful and impactful lives. As a guy with a strong moral code and champion of change for good, he seems to have hit his soul's work. With Year of the Planet, they're helping people change their lives to live more sustainably. And now the One Million Butterflies Project is helping empower and reconnect people around the world through this time of big change, fear and uncertainty. He's driven by purpose to bring to life a more equal, abundant and sustainable world. Andre is a big thinker and our conversations often cover a wide range of topics. I can't wait to see where this one takes us. Andre, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. So if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? The problem with convenience. Convenience. Oh, you need to talk to me a bit more about that. What What do you mean? Where are you coming from with that question? Yeah, now it's not something that I've been like, you know, it's been my platform for 20 years or anything, but when I started this new business and started paying a lot more attention to sustainability, right? And we launched this program called Year of the Planet. And through that, I was had to do a lot of research into, you know, uh, the damage that, you know, takeaway coffee cups were doing to the environment and plastic bottled water and plastic bags and straws and takeaway containers and cutlery and cleaning products and all the shit, right? And through that research, everything sort of led back to the story of pretty much around the 50s when people and just started getting a snapshot of this driving wave of this sort of addiction to this hunting of convenience that we've had that's led to everything from all the packaging to 
instant stuff to drive through fast food to to everything, right? We're obviously in this place in the world where everything's pretty shit. And the reason is because we make so much shit and everything that we buy comes in so much shit and it's all bad to produce and it's all bad to dispose of. And I just started realising is driving more than greed, more than ego, I think, this like craving of convenience or this wave toward convenience has done so much damage. Because I was trying to figure out what is the reason we're in this place with the environment, right? What is the reason we make so much shit and consume so much shit and everything is is because it, it makes everything easier and faster and more convenient. And I thought, wow, that's been a pattern that's gotten us here, but we don't really talk about that as being a bad thing. And I think, you know, world is faster, you know, our lives, the expectations, you know, in terms of our connectivity with digital, all that stuff, right, where everything's moving at a pace. Yeah, everything's easier always, easier to connect with someone, easier to heat up food, easier to get a coffee, easier to, right? There's a reason why convenience seems good. I guess it has to be because it gave us more time to do the things we really cared about or spend time with it, right? That was the the quite pure motivator. I reckon that's been lost because I don't reckon we're in a place where we're all spending more time doing the things we love. I think we just got more fucking busy doing things we don't love. And I think that's one thing right now with, you know, obviously through the COVID element and stuff that, you know, a lot of people have really slowed down and a lot of people have talked about that. I mean, obviously we've gone through one wave and we're kind of in a bit of a second wave uh, right at the moment as we record this. And a lot of people talked about, you know, the enjoyment of that, of, you know, taking time to make their meals and to, you know, not race around. And, and I think that convenience factor has kind of, it was probably taken out a bit, right? So it changed us a little bit. So with me, I just moved to the hills, Adelaide Hills, and like I'm making bread all the time. Uh, and making butter and making olives and, or, you know, preserving olives and doing a bunch of stuff. And none of it's convenient, but it's really mindfully fulfilling to do. I'm really interested in talking with you about, well, maybe this outcomes-driven focus we've had in everything. This goes, like, to business as well. Like, why is the outcome more important than the way we get Because what's the fucking point of life? Like, why are we trying to get somewhere faster? Why are we trying to be more efficient? Why is a company trying to be more productive? Sure, to make more money for the shareholders. Is it, though? What's the point? Or should it be more important, the process with which we make the thing that people use or the culture that we create for the people that we employ? I think it's all a similar principle, and that's a bit off topic, but I think it all lines up to it. We're so addicted to productive and efficient and convenient. Maybe that's not the point. Yeah, it's we are addicted to it. And I think if you come back to what you said at the start around, you know, sort of through your research, and this came through in the 50s, and I guess that's when, I don't know, when when McDonald's was born, right? I don't know when the actual food convenience started to, you know, emerge throughout the world. It was a real ramp up of plastic, of the plastic industry. People were finding ways to make something cheaper and quicker and easier. And and it was like, there was just no thought to the fact that if something was disposable, that might be a problem at some stage. No thought. Of course, understandably, right? But wow, it's a problem we're in now. Yeah. And I wonder as well, whether it was a sign of, you know, wealth, 
Like it's actually if you could afford to, you know, buy takeout food or, you know, have a disposable kind of items, then it was actually, you know, that aspirational aspect. And I do wonder about us getting more simple and back to, well, back to simplicity, I guess, in, in terms of the, you know, minimalism where, you know, uh, it comes in everything. It's not just food, it's clothing, it's, you know, all those elements. You're just scratching the surface, aren't you, in terms of the food component? I'm really interested in, like, if, if we have to change the way we live so that it's more sustainable for the planet and indeed for people, what is the thing that's going to be the hardest and what is the mindset we have to change to do that? It's a lot of habits we have to change and a lot of inconvenience. And it can either feel like a sacrifice or we can re-question this concept of convenience and maybe start to go, maybe I don't need anything to be so convenient. Maybe I want something to take a bit longer. Maybe I want to be mindful of the process when I do something or make something. Even if you're fabulously wealthy, sure, have a fucking $25,000 table, but that was made with care and love that you will have forever, can still be aspirational. Sure, have a $400,000 fucking sports car if that's what floats your boat, but one that's made beautifully and don't flip it any year because the next one comes along. We don't need to give up on aspirational wealth, even though I find it gross personally. I understand it's important to a lot of people. We don't have to give up on that stuff. We just have to give up on the convenience. Yeah, it's around that reframing. I think, you know, you sort of hit the nail on the head of rather than, you know, the convenience being something that, you know, it's a habitual thing, right? It's like you go to the coffee shop and you forget your cup and you're like, ah, well, it should be. Well, you can't get a coffee. You know, you've got to have one in your your bag or have one in your car or whatever. And there are, you know, numerous coffee shops now that do not give disposable cups away, which is fabulous. Um, I guess, uh, you know, through COVID and all this stuff, it's kind of shaken things up a little bit again. But they're the sort of change mechanisms we need to your point about recognizing and you know i've spent a lot of time in italy and live there quite a bit the slow food movement came out of italy and their whole premise of you know you go to a bar and you might might want a you know bellini or something they're like oh no you know peaches are not in season you can't have one i'm like but wait that's i just that's all i want right now <laughs> and they're like too bad you know and it's it just kind of trains you and you're like oh okay but it makes you appreciate it more though andre and i think for me that living in that Italian way and that, you know, that simplicity and that premise of living for now and in the moment, you know, there's all those other elements that you talk about convenience, but the things that come up for me are, you know, that mindfulness, right? And not buying shit that we don't need. You know, it's all those kind of, this stretches so far for me. It does. And I think that's the, that's kind of the big, beautiful bonus that is actually brings home probably more the point of life and the key to sort of actual happiness, reframing convenience as, as a destructive thing or a, or a thing that, it, not even that, an obstructive thing, as a thing that is in the way of either an experience or a mindful experience or, or a true appreciation of something. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. If I want the kids to be warm, you know, and it's one degree this morning in Stirling, like if I and minus one overnight, if I want the kids to be warm at 6.30 when it's still dark, when they wake up to get ready for school so they're not so cranky and torturous, 
I have to get up and light a fire. And it's so nice. And that means I have to go outside in this one degree to get the wood. And all of these things, though. But in lighting the fire, the love and protection and nurturing and sort of like providering stuff that I get that courses through me, the endorphins I get from that are really like beautiful, right? I don't get that from flicking the switch. And what a way to start your day. I sort of feel like there needs to be this campaign of inconvenience. So have you always been like, you know, in terms of the driver of around the environment and doing good. So, you know, you now have your company, The Good Empire, that you started a couple of years ago now, 2018. Can you tell us a bit about that? And also where did the drive for that come from? Has that always been ingrained in you? No, it absolutely hasn't. I've been a big abuser of it all. I love that you're honest. (laughs) I created this 12-month program, right? I created it for myself. I, I, I keep up with the program so that I can you know, do the changes as well. And in a way, I think that makes it a gateway. But no, I'm like so guilty. And guilt is a great driver for change. But that's nice though that you admit that because otherwise, you know, it's nothing worse than like self-righteous people or, you know, like the reform smoker, you know, you used to used to do bad and now you're doing good and you're telling everyone off. It's like, you know, take them on the journey and you, you know what it's like, right? So you're helping people on the way. I see myself as helping the lazy middle class change because you know there's plenty of people way before me and way ahead of me that have made these changes to their lives you know um cat who works for me her mother-in-law hasn't put a garbage bin out with um landfill garbage for like 18 months like she's militant awesome right not one bit of plastic packaging goes or non-recyclable things and there's people doing that it's amazing and i'm not that but i'm really trying to change and um, but certainly probably at, at pace. But the more I learn, the more I'm horrified. It's like Pandora's box. You start to go, you start to become aware. But and that's where this thinking came from. I really became like, well, what's behind all of this? Like we're not all assholes, and not many people sit there and go, I don't care that there's plastic in the ocean. You know, certain things resonate with other people, but they're like, but I don't know if I'm willing to to change my habits to stop my contribution of that plastic ocean. But also it's the it's the piece, right, the steps that lead to that. Just because I buy a punnet of blueberries, it doesn't equate in my head that they're ever going to end up in the ocean. And so I think that's the, yeah, the piece to understand that actually the more, you know, the 8 billion people on the planet use those plastics, the worse we're going to be. I think with me a real trigger was um, I was living on the beach and I was just seeing people walk down the beach like every, every morning with like takeaway coffee cups. It seems so simple, but they're not recyclable, right? And I just wanted to go up to someone and take their cup and throw it in the ocean. And they'd be horrified. Don't throw that. That's terrible. What about the fish? And you're like, well, it ends up there anyway. But you just think that it's fine because you put it in the bin. Yeah, so share these stats with me. So, Because I think that's really interesting for listeners. Share some of those stats that appalled you so much that that's why you started the company. It really started with coffee cups, interestingly, as 16 billion Disposable takeaway coffee cups a year is the last sort of roughly recorded stat. More than 85% of them aren't recyclable or recycled because of the polyethylene lining. But there are some really good programs. I mean, reusable cups are the way. Also, like plastic bottled water, 500 billion plastic drink bottles, whether it's Coke or juice or whatever, are produced and go into landfill, which is pretty horrific. And you've got organisations like Coca-Cola, you know, 
going, look, we're not willing to change our packaging because our customers still buy it. So I'm like, ah, okay, well, we need to stop. It's simple. A lot of us are switched on to climate change, right? And what drives that? And a lot of us are switched on to reducing our plastic waste. It's a pretty good dialogue now. But most of us go and think that the answer is to, for governments to change legislation, which needs to happen, or for big industry to change its practices, right? Stop coal mining, stop producing so much plastic, right? We think, great, that's, I can, what can I do? But we can because if we don't buy the shit, if every energy company has people paying 100% loading to get the full green renewables or the carbon, they'll finally get the picture right. There won't be an industry. It won't be worth fracking for gas. And so, again, it's not convenient. Like, it's expensive to get the full green alternative through your power provider. But we have to do it. We have to appreciate what it takes. About eight years ago, no longer, I was um, filming. I had a video production company, and I was filming for a company called MoGas, right? They're like a regional gas petrol petroleum company. And I had to go up and film this power plant in Port Augusta. Went there and filmed. It was a beautiful shot, right? It was like shimmering. And the, but beautiful shot is this smokestack, right, pumping out. But then I had to go and film the coal train that provides the power to this, this station, this power station. And this coal train was one and a half kilometres long and each cart was two storeys high and about 40 metres long. And one and a half kilometres of that filled deep, like two storeys deep. I'm standing on a bridge filming this thing come on. took about fucking eight minutes for this thing to go past, right? And it's filled with coal twice a day. I'm like, holy shit. You start to think about when you turn the light on, this is what's happening in the background. It's so convenient to turn the light on, right? Electricity, what a marvel. But we have to take ownership everything we do and what's gone into it. And I think if we can do that, then we might be willing to be a little less convenient. And it gets complicated because people go, well, I don't know. Is it better to buy a plastic bottle of sparkling water or a bottled one? And what if it's come from Italy? Or should I be getting aluminium cans? And, and, you know, there's just not ready research with that. The answers are not hard to figure out. You know, it's basically what damage was done creating it, what damage was done transporting it, and how recyclable is it? You know what I mean? Or how compostable is it? But it always ends up, don't buy something that comes in packaging that is used once and then thrown away, no matter what, because it's not just the waste, it's the production of it. But the answer to that, by the way, is aluminium cans are better than glass bottles or plastic bottles if they're recyclable, if they're made from recyclable aluminium because it's very recyclable. But that's not kind of what I wanted to talk about mostly. Mostly it really dawned upon me that the big problem was convenience. And we need to get inconvenient in our lives. And we need to appreciate that we have to work harder to have something because it's really nice. My partner pointed out a couple of days ago, she's like, we've got an organic market locally that now um, has a has a cask of like baramba milk, right? So we can go and bring our bottles, which we had when we were living in Fitzroy, which is really nice. And she's like, what about wine? I'm like, don't. I know, I know. Great segue. I know. But in Italy, for instance, they've got big bottle recycling 
and collection. Yeah, we used to go with a little um, the little guy that we lived on a farm in Umbria, and uh, we'd go to the local uh, vineyard with him, and he'd have these big plastic gallon things that you know my dad used to kind of carry petrol in almost when I was growing up, and uh, he'd go straight from the massive vat, and they you know they'd fill them up, and it'd be like five euros, and they'd have this one. It's amazing. So yeah, there's a way around it definitely, and I do think people are getting more conscious of it, and um, you know improving in this space. But I think your question's really interesting around, you know, are we prepared to be inconvenienced for, you know, the quality of life and the impact that we're making? I think that's the the element, isn't it? We are massively privileged to have the luxury to consider that. There's plenty of people much closer to survival level that have less luxury to pick and choose to be less convenient. But we have to start, right? Those of us that can have to but start. But for those of us that, as you say, that we have the option, we should be making an effort. You know, that's the difference as well, right? But So talk to me about your former life because the wine thing around, you know, your partner challenging you about wine and uh, how that is consumed in, you know, many bottles, I'm sure. So in 2011, you uh, were the joint founder of quite a, um, a cult wine organisation called Vino Mofo. Very convenient. <laughs> very <laughs> wine delivered to your doorstep, super cheap, awesome wine, very convenient. <laughs> yeah, so hence your uh, dichotomy, as you're saying here, where you're trying to challenge it. That's why you left, right? That's why you're not there any longer. No, but here's the thing. I think if we want to change, like, you know, that cliche that perfection is the enemy of good, right? We can't sort of go, oh, but hang on, blah, 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 and we can't get caught up in our hypocrisy and therefore not change anything. I think we have to change the things that we can and accept that we're not perfect and we're still doing heaps that's wrong. Everything that we change that's not wrong is a step forwards. You can't just keep telling people off. We have to address the root cause and change that. So what are the, if you were trying to recommend for people to stop immediately, if they could make an impact straight away, what I'm imagining coffee cups would be your number one thing, but what else would you say to people? Yeah, it worked for me because that was a gateway, right? I think picking it, it was a gateway and it was something I was easy to change and it was really visible so not only did i change my behavior and the impact i was having in my small way by not churning through 450 disposable coffee cups a year i was out in the world with this thing that was an answer so i was setting the example and i was leading by example so it's good to start i think with something that you can feel a bit of pride in changing you know but also something that makes you feel good like Honestly, I make butter and it's hilarious because it's really inconvenient and every little slice that I like butter is so precious and I feel so proud giving it to the kids and I feel so it's delicious eating it. That was one of those things that it becomes this little linchpin of a change in my life and so because I get such joy from it. Pick something that makes you feel really good and gives you joy out of being a little more inconvenient to do. Yeah, and I think a number of mates that have started sort of um, their own little veggie patches and stuff and just listening to you talk about that with the butter, I just feel that obviously, you know, sharing that with your kids and they can see the joy you get out of something so, you know, simple as well. And I always remember about, it was a show, I think, Jamie Oliver, when he did around the educating the kids in their school dinners and stuff, and then was actually educating them about, you know, fruits and vegetables and stuff. And it was just the simplicity of that, of getting back to basics. And to me, that's kind of the whole almost message that you're saying, like the, my favorite coffee cups are, um, you know, those, the pottery ones that I've made myself. And 
and they're, you know, all perfectly wabi-sabi. They're all imperfect. <laughs> they look random, but they're so nice to drink out of. But they give me so much pleasure as well. And so tell me what other things you're doing with The Good Empire, because you've got a couple of programs and things that you sort of touched on before. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that is like and how people can be involved if they wanted to. I just knew I wanted to help change things, right? I was just complaining a lot about the state of the world at dinner parties. And I was like, oh, is that it? Am I just going to be like, am I going to continue to grow this wine company and just keep complaining about the world at dinner parties and maybe do a little bit of my thing? Or am I going to, what's my legacy going to be? I was thinking a lot about and researching and exploring a lot about purpose and then social and environmental impact. And that all came together. And I knew I just wanted to help somehow change things and get the world back on track in a lot of ways. Came across the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and thought, well, that is as good a global vision as we've got and it's pretty well subscribed to and it's a good solid organisation behind it. So that feels like the canon plan. So what can I do to help get there by 2030? I am normally like a, you know, gather an army and shout from the rooftops and go to war and, you know, to change things and bust down the walls and that's instinctively what I what I do, and also probably instinctively competitive. But I really didn't want to do any of that because it expends a lot of energy and I really thought that this space that I was entering into didn't need competition, it needed collaboration. So I really, I really, all right, what can I do that's not being done well that would really help? And also what can I do that's not just gathering an army to protest or activate or change legislation because there's great organisations doing that and doing it well. And I was really like, why don't you go against type Andre? You know, this concept of sort of like, what about if people could choose to change the way they lived and the impact they had on the world? And I just had this vision of like millions of people all over the world, like a picture of glow, like a light coming on, putting their hand up. No matter how fucked their president was, we're not under a reign of amazing leadership unless you live in New Zealand, right, or Canada. So I was really, we can't rely on that. Industry is changing fast and well. But there's still so much investment into things that are damaging for the earth and for people, right? It's not just coal mining. It's, it's Instagram. You know, it's like we're motivated to play on people's insecurities, addictions, fears, you know, because it sells something, right? It makes something use. So, you know, industry has got conflicting motivations. But we could put our hand up and start to live that way no matter what the legislation is. We could choose to create our own form of welfare if we wanted, by what we chose to support and how we chose to interact in our community. We can choose the way we live sustainably or not. We can choose to educate ourselves around diversity and racial prejudice and gender equality and anything we wanted if we were educated and if we knew. And that's good for us. What about if we put our hands up and something connected us and then we were like this nation without borders and there's 100 million of us and we all choose to live that way. That's change. And Good Empire became this idea of a platform. We could gather them and unite them together and empower them to live more connected and purposeful and impactful lives. And sort of wrote this big manifesto and it was like, well, why? Because we want to help create a more equal and abundant and sustainable world so that it's nicer and it's here for generations to come, right? So that became the driver. And I know it's a big one, but that became it. But the way to do that was this platform that could empower people to change their own lives and the impact they had. And so 
That's what it was. So Year of the Planet was this campaign to help people over 12 months change their lives to live more sustainably, everything from coffee cups to green power to eating less meat to all the things that contributed to plastic waste and carbon emissions, personal carbon emissions mostly. That's an individual program, but the mission for it is to save a billion units of plastic and 5 million tonnes of CO2. That's that. And then the second program we launched through COVID is called One Million Butterflies, which is literally just to help people that are struggling with it all. And it started with this idea of people in isolation and financial pressures and everything that came from the, the lockdowns around the world. But it's become so much more. It's become sort of got co-opted by these awesome women who were struggling with like domestic violence and other forms of abuse and yes financial pressures but like we've got people who've like fled war-torn countries that started doing this program because it's sort of like it's sort of resilience and connection and transformation changing your life so it's been really powerful and it's and it's really really amazing community so that was really that was really just in response to covid what can we do that's useful i guess what we're trying to do is alleviate suffering and create a future for the world right a better future for the world suffering seemed very immediately people struggling you know, over the next couple of years, we'll roll out programs that cover, you know, equality, diversity, abundance, welfare, wealth redistribution, um, hunger, poverty, all the pillars, you know, sanitation, water, all the pillars that sort of, I guess, you know, lead towards a more equal and abundant and sustainable world. So that's what it's become. And it's really great. We've got a small team who are really purpose-driven, and that's why they joined. Really smart, really passionate. And it feels like an honour to have that team. I hope we can keep, stay small because it's really nice to, to have a small team that care about the same stuff. It gets harder as the team get bigger, as you would know too. feels good. I really, I really like it. I'm still a newbie. Like I'm learning much more than I'm teaching. But I think that the fact that you're open and your graciousness around that, Andre, is the important thing. You know, you're keeping it real and you're like, I'm not perfect and I'm making some good waves over here, but I've still got some work to do here. I think that's actually part of the charm. And because, you know, making big shifts like you're talking about here, it takes time and it takes people to change behavior and, you know, habits and things like that, that, you know, doing what you've always done. And to your point in the whole, if I circle all the way back around to the talk is, you know, convenience or, you know, some of the things that you're suggesting and what you're trying to say about having a more fulfilled, less impact life it takes an effort and it takes time to do that. And so you have to commit to it, but you also have to see the bigger picture. You have to understand what your driver is. I know a lot of smart friends of mine keep talking about we can't have far right or far left. We've got to have like nicely nudged away from the middle. I've never believed that because I think that's too slow to change, right? I truly just believe we need far left, hard and fast and clear the runway. But what we don't need to do is get everybody's defences up and create a war and resistance. You can't change someone's values by telling them they're wrong. You can only present them a more attractive set of values or a more appealing set of values, but appealing to them, right? That's tricky. I'm going to finish it there. It's um, such a beautiful way to bring it to a close, Andre. Uh, it's, as always, you have 
such every time we chat there's so much thought provocation and we go on tangents and talk about some fascinating stuff but I think you know you're you're setting a notion here that's almost like a small thread even in some people listening that if you can change a few little things in your life that's going to make a difference and then it slowly trickles as I've found as well the more you start to change the more aware you become about your impact in life and on your community on the environment on other people then you just naturally start to you know change more beautiful fantastic to talk to you today thank you so much lovely to talk with you too if you'd like to learn more about today's guest you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website wabisabiseries.com if you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations please subscribe to the series follow us on our socials or grab one of my books and if you're in a generous mood I'd love you to share the episode or maybe even rate, review and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.